Welcome back. David Penn here. Another episode of the Professor Penn Podcast, and I hope you're doing well today. Thank you for joining. I want to, as always, thank Free People Radio for giving the Professor Penn Podcast this platform. And what is Free People Radio? It's part of the truth media, where we strive to get to the truth. We're not rejecting a mainstream narrative. We're looking at it and determining if we agree with it. We're looking for more information. We want to get on all four corners of the street and take a look at this accident that we're in and try to come up with the truth. If we don't know what's going on, how are we going to get a policy to get out of this mess? So, you know, I'm going to just say right off the bat, I'm not rejecting anything. I'm just widening the scope of the information that I'm reviewing and that I'm sharing with you so that we get a more informed perspective on truth. We're not saying we know what the truth is. We're saying we're striving for the truth, and that's very important. We want to thank our sponsors, like TireGet.com. These companies are part of the Patriot economy. What's the Patriot economy? It's the companies and the people that are supporting this movement of freedom. We're a freedom movement. So when you have the truth media plus the patriot economy, that's freedom. That's a political economy that brings about freedom. So when you need tires, go to T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. That's TireGet.com. 14,000 tires in stock. I don't like buying tires. It's a kind of a pain, right? But when I do it and I do it at TireGet, I'm actually funding this movement, and that makes my purchase meaningful. Everything you need in, everything you need in tires and you fund the movement. It's a win-win. Thank you very much. PrecinctStrategy.com. Why do we mention it? Because I'm urging you to get in the game. Get off the couch. Get in the game of politics. Make your will felt. Take a seat at the table. Have a stake in this game. Don't be passive. For those people that want to do that, hey, Precinct Strategy is a tutorial on everything you need to know to get into the game of politics. Get in the game. Now, we know not everybody is going to get in the game. We know that, and that's okay. There's something for everybody to do. I am not judging against anyone. If you get in the, uh, into your political party and you make your will felt that way, that's fantastic. Maybe you want to write a check. That's great. Talk to your friends and neighbors. Email. We all have to be doing something all the time. Perhaps all we're going to do is pray, which is as I said in the previous podcast, that's the most powerful tool in the tool belt. And that's why we started out here today with um, a Russian Orthodox chant, Let My Prayer Arise. Let's remember and review the bidding that on the last episode, you know, I was talking about President Putin's speech in the middle of that, whatever it was. We don't know what it was. It could have been a coup. It could have been a strategic redeployment of Wagner into the Belarus, only 45 miles from Kiev. Hey, this is war. We don't know what's going on. My opinion is as good as anybody else's. It's just an opinion. Because remember, you can't understand the Russians with logic. It takes faith to understand the Russians. That's the nature of their culture. So all we can do is, you know, watch it, feel it, analyze it, study it, Maybe everything is going on at once. Hey, now if you can hold that in your mind, that it's not either or, that it's maybe everything all at once, 
Now we're getting somewhere because these people are deep and they're not in fixed positions. You know, anybody that's ever been in a fight, and I bet many of you have been in a fight. And for those of you who haven't been in a fight, let me tell you, it's not scripted. That's why people like to avoid fights because the outcome is uncertain. And what happens in the moment of the fight is very improvisational. So we don't know what these people are thinking or doing, except what they tell us. And that's an important marker. So let's remember what President Putin said in his, what's going to be a very famous speech, which he gave on the afternoon of the coup. He associated Russia with a thousand-year tradition of Christianity. And that's why I played that Russian Orthodox chant to remind us of that, that that's what they're aligning themselves with, A, and B, what the heck is going on in that chant, which I want to comment on in terms of prayer. But he also, in addition to associating the modern Russian Federation, the state of Russia, with a thousand-year history, he repudiated the Bolshevik Revolution and the entire communist enterprise. This is a big deal. He did this. Now, I don't know what he actually thinks, but I know what he told the Russian people because we have a video record of it. And what he did was quite noteworthy, quite noteworthy. He repudiated communism and associated Russia with this great Russian Orthodox Christian tradition. Now, what's going on here in this chant? And I'm not here being pro-Russian for the three stooges that are watching. Get that out of your mind, okay? I'm a commentator on what's going on in the world seeking the truth. Just because I'm interested in what's going on does not make me a traitor. So get that out of your mind. Forget about it. I'm a strong and firm believer in the American enterprise, and I'm putting my shoulder to the mainmast every day to make for a better future for the American people, for my own children, for myself, because I believe in human well-being. So, having said that, knowing how these people think, let's move on and say, what are these, what are these four men doing? Well, they're praying. That is a, a, a prayer called, Let My Prayer Arise. Now, I'm just going to comment on some stuff that I, I do this myself so I can comment on it. And I urge all of you to discover this, and this is a lifetime pursuit. I can sing. I enjoy singing. And when I was a young man and I was playing in rock and roll bands, I couldn't sing. I had an emotional blockage. They call it, um, you have to find your voice. I had not found my voice. I had emotional issues. So when I tried to sing when I was playing in rock and roll bands, I wasn't very good at it. And I remember somebody told me, a very senior person in that secret society, hey, if you can't play the piano and you can't sing, you're not going to make it playing violin and rock and roll. I said, no, that's not true. I'm going to make it. And it turned out that I needed to learn how to sing, and I put a lot of time into it. And, you know, this is what it's about. It's about practice, daily ritual. Prayer is about daily ritual. So I started singing every day. And, you know, I can really relate to what's going on here because I understand it. They're in an architectural space that creates an echo. That echo is a vibration. 
they are standing, if you go back and look at it again, they're all standing in a very similar position, feet planted firmly on the ground, shoulders relaxed, hands at their side. You know, that's the basic position that you're going to use just before you get in a fight or just before you pray because it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You want to get in a fight or you want to pray to God? you got to be in the same space in your body. you got to be relaxed. You have to be centered, and your center is below your belly button. You have to be centered. You have to be nonlinear because when you sing, you're really not linear. You're really in a totality. You're not uh, reductionistic into kind of a logical uh, thinking perspective. Singing is a physical pursuit like playing football. It's an all-body exercise. You have to be thinking. You have to be feeling. You have to be centered. And then listen what they were doing. Go back and listen to it. The vibrations of their voices in that space what they're doing, and the name of the chant is interesting, let my prayer arise. They are trying to commune with a sound that you can hear when you have ears that can hear. They're contributing to a sound that's in the universe, which we have lost as moderns. We've lost that sensitivity to the background music that accompanies our lives. You know, we just don't have it anymore. We've become very insensitive. It takes a lot to stimulate us, like porn, like really loud rock and roll, like intense drugs and alcohol. We become rather numb. Numb. We've been numbed. Dumbed down. But if you go out into the forest, and it's very quiet there, and you just sit down and listen, you're going to hear these chants. They're out there for you to find. And they were vibrating their bodies to pray. And that gives them health. And this is what I want to bring out to you. These secret societies, hey, they got some knowledge in there. That's why they're secret. They don't want you and me to know this knowledge. They want us dumb, disempowered, and easy to control. Hey, it's not going to work because, hey, we're, hey, maybe we should turn the Professor Penn podcast into a secret society where we all start practicing, kind of like a counter movement. Oh, guess what? That's what we're doing. If you go today and go in a room, whether you can sing or not, put your feet firmly on the floor, relax your shoulders, center yourself just below your belly button, feel your body, and listen, and then just make a sound. It doesn't have to be musical. Just vibrate a sound through your body and start to practice that. Here's what's going to happen. The first thing you're going to recognize is you have to work on your breath control. To sing is about breath control. Now, very interestingly, very interesting, let me just share with you. In Hebrew, the word for soul, neshama, is also the word for breath, or at least it's translated that way, that soul and breath are related. Well, guess what? In the Chinese tradition, the concept of energy or qi, 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 however you want to see it, qi, qi gong, is also related to breath. There's something about life and breath and blood that are related. And these are things that are not linear. I can't tell you, well, I could, but we don't have time today. We'll come back to it. 
These things are related. They can be intellectually related. We can tell a story about it, but it's just a story unless you do it for yourself. Like unless you join your local political party and get in the ring, you're not going to really know what's going on inside the ring if you haven't been in a fight. And I'm not saying getting in a fight. I'm not advocating fighting. In fact, my advoc- I'm really advocating for the best way to win a fight is don't get in one. That's the fundamental. But if you had the misfortune of getting in a fight, you recognize you learn a lot very quickly about yourself and about the person you're contending with because there's no kidding around there, right? Well, that's like when you get in a room and it's very quiet. Your cell phone is not there. There's no earbuds. It's just you in a room. And then you're going to vocalize a tone and vibrate that tone through your entire body with your feet firmly planted on the floor, centered, shoulders relaxed, shoulders relaxed, no no tension. You know, when you find yourself doing like this, hey, you know, that's not optimal. Optimal is shoulders relaxed, centered, feet on the floor, hands at your side, just like those priests were doing. And then they were vocalizing a tone, and that tone vibrates through their entire body and it fills up that entire architectural space. The whole space is vibrating with a holy tone. Let my prayer arise. They're communing with the Most High God. That's how they're doing. You're watching. I just showed you four men in communion with the Most High God. They've built those connections and they've built them so deeply that people come and film them and post their prayer on the Internet for other people to gain from. So I'm going to just suggest to you, if you want a little homework assignment, and I'm not asking you to do something that I don't do, I do it. I get up. I don't, You know, I'm supposed to do it twice a day every day. Let me make an admission. I don't do that. I don't live under that law anymore. But I do know that law, and I do try to stick to it because I like those traditions. And I get up, and I say a prayer, And when I sing it, I hold that vibration as long as I can and let it fill my body. And that's about well-being. And, you know, this is not something you can get out of a book. you got to practice it. You've got to vibrate your body. You know, the Professor Penn podcast, what are we doing here? We're talking about how to pray. Remember we talked about this last time? You're supposed to knock. So so, So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And that's what they're doing. They're knocking on the door. They're vibrating their body and getting into harmony with the vibration that's inherent in the universe. This is deep stuff. This is secret society stuff. This is the kind of thing you learn in a monastery. But you don't have to go to a monastery. Just come to the Professor Penn podcast And just sing, just when you're in your car, sing. But that's part of praying. Now we get down to what you sing. What do you sing? Because why don't we do two for one? You know, we can just sing a song, you know, like uh, whatever. We can sing any song. But why not sing a song that gives us some well-being benefit? So when we've knocked on the door, let me in. Please let me in. We were taught how to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, we're acknowledging that we're in a holy space. Like that architectural scene you saw, that's holy. 
It feels holy. It looks holy. The colors are holy. The architecture is holy. The people in there acknowledge its holiness. They've created a sacred space, a sacred space. So when we go to pray, we create a sacred space because we know, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What we're acknowledging is, is we're living in God's world and his will, God's will prevails, not human intellect. See right there, that's the on-off switch. You're either with that group or this group. You have to make a decision and live with that decision. Either you believe in the supremacy of the intellect of man, that would be your own intellect, okay? You believe in that, great. Or you believe in the supremacy of God. You have to work on that decision. You have to come to a conclusion about that. That's going to sort you out. You're either going to be on one side of the football or the other. And all of our politics are defined by this. And one of the reasons that our politics are so screwed up is people haven't sorted this out. Hey, you can't be on both sides of the football. Pick a team. Pick a team. Pick your side. That's okay. That's politics. That's politics. Did you think Jesus wasn't political? Hey, he turned over the, cha- the tables of the money changers. There can't be anything more political than that, right? Remember that story? Maybe we'll cover it. It's an interesting story. He went into the temple, and they were selling stuff, and he said, no, we don't do this. This is my father's house, and he threw the bums out. Hey, maybe that got him crucified. Give us each day our daily bread. That's our bread, both physically and spiritually. Please, God, feed me. Because if I don't get, because remember, I've made a decision. I'm not relying on my own intellect. I'm relying on God's love. So I'm asking God to feed me. You know, that, that's a relationship. That's almost contractual. Yeah, I said this. Why did the Jews go along here for 6,000 years, this ragtag group of, uh, you know, goat herders? How did they do this? They know how to pray. They just know how to pray. That's really what it comes down to. And if we want to survive as the United States of America, the strongest tool in our tool belt is praying, and we better get to it, okay? And I'm showing you how people do it. I'm sharing with you how, how people go about doing this because it's actually a technique that can be reproduced. If I'm getting too out there for some of you, believe me, we're going to get down in the mud here soon, but I want to bring some sacredness to, our, to my own life. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those who sin against us. Hey, if you got resentment, it just clogs up the mechanism. It just clogs up the mechanism. You know, I'm going to play a scene. Tanner, I want you to remind me about this. There's a great movie called For the Love of the Game. It's about baseball. It's with Kevin Costner as a star. He's starring in it as a great baseball pitcher. And there's a wonderful scene in there where he clears the mechanism. I got to make sure we play that on the next podcast because that's what we're doing. When we give up our resentment, we're clearing the mechanism so that we can be in tune with and in harmony with the natural way. Because when we're all full of resent, hey, if you're out bent on revenge, you're not too open to a, a sacred space. Two things don't go together. Again, you've got to pick a side of the football and get on it. Can't be on both sides of the equation. Sorry, I know we've been doing that for a long time. Doesn't work. That's why everything's so screwed up. It's screwed up because we've had ambitions to maintain our faith while we run an empire. Those two things don't go together. If you're going to have limited ambition, 
believe in God and live in a country that values minority rights, individual liberties, and individual sovereignty, you know, like the Constitution of the United States. Oh, let me digress. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. If we're going to live in that kind of world, hey, that is going to require some limited ambition. So when we go off and have an empire, you know, like spending $1.5 trillion a year on a military-industrial complex, it doesn't go with self-governance. That's why things are screwed up. We are over-ambitious. We are on both sides of the football simultaneously. It doesn't work. Okay, we're getting down to it. Pick a side. And if you want to experiment, and I'm going to say, maybe you need to check it out a little bit different. You're a scientist. You want to do some research. I agree with that. You know, when we're little babies, we put everything in our mouths. Everything. We'll choke ourselves to death if mom and dad don't watch. Or just mom if you're, unfortunately, without a dad, which is many of us. If someone's not watching you, you'll put something in your mouth that'll kill you. Poison, for example. Everything goes into the mouth. Why? It's a laboratory. We're learning about our world. We're using our senses of smell and taste to experience our world. We're little scientists. Hey, that's a good thing. It's called you got to see it for yourself. So experiment with this prayer thing. But I want to warn you, this is not an overnight deal. Oh, God, can I please have a Cadillac? That's probably not going to work. Now, if a Cadillac appears, please get in touch with me because you're a very special person and we want to take care of you. If you could make a prayer, dear God, give me a Cadillac, a new one. I want a hard top and I want a V8. If that thing shows up just like that, hey, call me. We're going to get behind you because, you know, you're special. But for most of us, prayer takes a long time. We work on it for a lifetime to perfect our prayer skills. Very important. And remember what's next. After we've cleared out our mechanism by removing the resentment, which is everywhere, right? And guess what our security state does? It's stoking resentment constantly. Constantly. I'm going to say this again because it bears repeating. I don't remember what podcast I said it on. But part of propaganda is redirecting anger away from the power structure into groups like the Germans did it with the Jews magnificently. It's the sine qua non of blaming the group. Okay, now what's going on in our society? The right is being directed to put all of its energy upon this transgender group, such as it is. And the left is being directed to put all their anger upon the white supremacists and the Christians such as it is. These two groups are the same, white supremacists and transgenders. They are the repository of societal anger, a redirection of righteous indignation that needs to be directed against a power structure that is based on slavery, drugs, and piracy. 
but they don't want that to come out, so they redirect the anger. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever you wish for when you pray, believe that you have received it, and ye shall have it. I want to work into this a lot. Like, uh, dear God, Father of the universe, Master of all things, thank you for giving us freedom. Dear God, Father of the universe and Master of all things, thank you for giving us well-being. We need to develop an American set of prayers that we all say that just honor the country and the community that we live in. That's a communal deal, not a Jewish deal, not a Catholic deal, but an American deal. What are we thankful for as Americans? What brings us together as Americans? We have to develop that because, you know, we hate each other, right? Now, we're not going to convince everybody to get together. That's the nature of things. I'm okay with that. But can we come up with a set of thank yous that bring many of us together, things that bring us in common, things that make us feel good together, and pray about it? Because, you know, we got a really powerful tool here that they've taught us doesn't work. Remember, Christianity is, you know, people that say they're Christians is now under 50%. It's 48%, according to the Pew Research, whatever that means. I probably look up who funds them. I'm not going to be happy about it. But clearly, from looking around us, we know that a religious uh, sentiment and loyalty is on the decline all over the world. We're going to talk about that today and how it happened. Because, you know, you have to have faith. For truly, I tell you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. How many of you believe that? This is called a pregnant pause. How many of us believe that if we had the faith of a mustard seed, we could move a mountain? How many believe that? It's a self-inventory moment. I believe it, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm sitting here talking to you. I'm trying to move a mountain. In fact, like Yoda on Star Wars, you know, you get your inspiration from strange places. Don't try. Do. Now, this is, you know, pretty much the core of the Marshall experience. No get-readies, okay? There's no get-readies. You just do this thing. You got to do it. You got to do it at the right time. Like Putin's speech, it was perfect. Perfectly delivered at the right moment in time. That's called being appropriate. The right time in the right place. We're all working on becoming appropriate. I know I'm waxing somewhat philosophic this morning. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what people say in the live chat because we've gone on another wildie. But I want to just say that this prayer thing is so powerful, we really need to delve into it and understand it. Now, I was going to talk for a half hour today about China and Taiwan. So, Tanner, on Monday, we're going to start out with Clear the Mechanism in China and Taiwan, and don't let me don't let me vary from that, because you know I need help. I lose myself because this China and Taiwan thing bear a great similarity to this Ukraine thing. There are more street corners here than we are being told about. 
which gives us an underinformed set of facts, allowing us to be manipulated and then led in a direction because we really don't know what's going on. And I do want to say, as relative to this China thing and this Taiwan thing, hey, I've been really involved in this my entire adult life. I can comment on this, not as a commentator, but as a participant. And I would say when it comes to China and Taiwan and this issue, I don't know how many of our elected leaders or the people in our military or the people in my local party who seem to know everything about everything have any experience talking to any Chinese people about what they think. And, hey, there's only 1.5 billion of them. They're easy to ignore. Hey, there are only 1.5 billion of the world population is Chinese. One could say, when they take a disproportionate percentage of world economic success, it might be related to there's a disproportionate number of Chinese. Okay, number one. Number two, these people are hardworking. I want to tell you a story. We're not going to get totally into the China thing. This is a this is an appetizer for next time. When I first started going to China, I really enjoyed meeting these people. They're educated, and uh, they're just deep. I mean, they're just it's a different culture. I like learning about other cultures. I've talked, for example, about learning about the Palestinian culture. I like delving into other cultures. Uh, you know, I was really struck. Uh, these, you know, I, the people that I met had kids, and these kids were in high school. And here's what their day w- was like. They started up, they got out. Mom made them a beautiful breakfast because, of course, Chinese people eat three meals a day on time. It's good for their health. They really believe in three meals a day on time. And the family provides high-quality food. Now, the food, the actual production of the food is highly chemicalized, and there's probably a lot of things in that food that are not good for you. But these people, on a percentage basis, eat a lot more greens, vegetables, and fruits than we do here in the West. When the Chinese people that I met, and I'm not saying it's everybody, I met a small subset. But, you know, I met, I've been to hundreds and hundreds of Chinese restaurants. Meat is in their diet as a flavor and as a much more minimal part of the overall caloric intake as compared with what we're doing here in the United States of America. They eat a lot more vegetables. They don't, there's no ice water. I used to go there and ask for ice. Bingda, bingda, bingda. They'd look at me like I was out of my mind. You know, it was 100 degrees in the restaurant. I'm wearing a suit. I'm sweating like a pig. Please bring me some ice water. You know what they'd bring me? Hot water. They'd tell me it would cool me off. They didn't put cold water in their body because it's against the yin-yang theory. They're different. They see things differently. And there's a lot of intelligence to that. Think about it. You could put some water down your throat that's 98 degrees. That's the exact temperature of your body. Or let's go throw a 45-degree ice-cold drink down there. Which one do you think is better for you? And I still like ice drinks. You know, I run hot. I like ice drinks. But there's something to what they're saying. And here's what they do with their kids. First of all, grandma and grandpa live at home, okay? That's a start. But the kid, the kid gets up. Mom has a job, but she still makes a beautiful, beautiful breakfast for their high school child. 
they don't give them some post toasties and a pop tart and say, hey, don't let the door hit you on the ass on your way out. No, they sit, they talk. Eating is a sacred space. They have some beautiful food. I mean, it's beautiful, delicious. And the kid goes to high school and they're gone, just like we hear in the United States. They're gone from eight till four. And they come home and guess what they do? They grab another beautiful meal for mom and then they go to night school from five to 10 o'clock. So the kids over there are going to school from 8 in the morning till 10 at night, and you're going to think it's five days a week. No. On the weekend, they go to school all day. They have private schools for these kids. These kids go to school constantly. So by the time they graduate high school, they speak English. They speak Mandarin. A lot of them speak Cantonese. A lot of them speak Shanghainese. They pick up another language like Spanish or, you know, maybe French. They all know mathematics. I mean, when I say they know mathematics, I mean they really know mathematics. And you can ask any 18-year-old Chinese to tell you about their history, and they can go back 6,000 years of Chinese history. And when it gets to the dynasty period, it's dynasty by dynasty by dynasty. Who was the emperor? Who was the emperor's son? Why did the dynasty fall? What did the dynasty do? What were the battles? I mean, these people are historically educated about their own history. Let's compare that with uh, our kids, your and mine. And if you are a kid, okay, compare yourself to that. Now, we can talk about what a bunch of assholes they are, and there's some truth to that. But these people are working hard. I just want to leave you with that as we get into other issues today. Because, uh, you know, we used to believe in hard work here. Prayer. Prayer, truth, those two things go together. Truth, justice, and peace. That's a very prayerful idea. Truth, media, the patriot economy, we're working hard to make money to take care of our families and take care of this country, equals freedom. Hey, we're missing all of the constituent elements to equal freedom. We're living in a a world of lies, and people don't want to work anymore. And that's even me. I mean, it's 4th of July weekend. Hey, you know what? Nobody's working. We used to work up right to the eve of the holiday as if there was no holiday because it wasn't a holiday. Now, hey, we're going to take off four or five days before and four or five days after, and where's our productivity? How do you pay off $32 trillion of debt with no productivity? Let me tell you, you don't pay it off, and how they're going to get to this is they're just going to take your net worth. You know, you're not working, right? Ask yourself, are you working hard? Are you putting money in the bank? That's a good argument not to work. And that's where they got us right now. They got us at the point where everything's in vain. Get that out of our mind. That's a judgment. I stumbled across one. Every once in a while, I walk into something backwards. I feel it and I go, oh, I'm going to comment on this. It's so screwed up, people are giving up. Like my young friend Tanner, the Doomer generation. Doomers. We're not giving up, okay? We're not giving up. Giving up is for losers. We're not, I'm not calling you a loser. You're young, you're young. We're not giving up. We, America has been in tough spots before, tough spots. And we've gotten out of them through hard work and ingenuity and creativity and by maintaining our faith in our families. That's what we got to work on. That's what the podcast is about. That's what free people is all about. 
So we got another counter movement, a counter movement. That would be called the political parties. You know, I have to make an admission. I'm an officer of the Minnesota Republican Party. Now, my politics, I call it the new party. They don't like that. These people hate me. The, you know, the establishment, the uni party people that run the Republican Party in Minnesota. And why do I know they hate me? They tell me they hate me. I'm not making it up. People walk up to me and they go, I hate you. I go, I don't even know you. Well, why do they hate me? Because I'm talking with you and we're forming a movement. And they know we're forming a movement. And what's this movement about? It's about the truth. We're a truth movement. Not the truth. Searching for truth. As opposed to buying a narrative that somebody else created. I don't want to live in somebody else's world. I want to create my own reality. That's called freedom, right? Isn't that what we're doing here? Freedom? Very disappointing. Of course, they're fighting back now. And we had a little story, and I just have to review it. My young friend, Mr. We're not going to, you know, we should have a fourth, a fourth guy. We got the three stooges, right? We got Mr. We don't do that here. These are my antagonists. Mr. We don't do that here. Mr. History doesn't matter. And Mr. We don't need any more Republicans. Hey, I got a guy on my own team. He's the man with no name. That's up to him. I love him. A brother. He's not ready to come out and have a name. But he took my very critical podcast, as you know, <clears throat> about uh, Congressman Emmer's description and, uh, you know, his fencing of this debt ceiling bill, which is a total scam we've gone over. We're not going to do it again. Please go back and look, because I really lay it out very convincingly. And, hey, any of you people in the Republican Party that would like to debate this with me, including Congressman Emmer, who I respect, you're a great you are a great salesman. So am I. Let's get together and have it out. Let's have a sell-off. And if that doesn't work, let's have a dance-off. Do you dance as good as you sell? I do. I dance as good as I sell. I developed that skill. You know, no belly here. I could do the cha-cha. We could, we could have a Latin dance-off. Wouldn't that be special? So if we can't settle it through a very eloquent oratory and discourse, we can have a dance-off. I'm all for it. You set the terms. But we have this controversy because this young friend of mine sent out the Emmer piece and the world went crazy. Our little tiny Minnesota world here. It really went, these people went bizarre. And they, they really went bizarre. I mean, some of the comments were so pure, full-blown Nazi that I had to say to one person, would you please go join the Nazi party? Because the comment was, I as a Republican cannot, as an officer, I cannot comment or criticize another Republican even by inference, even by inference, come on. You know, we got a screwed up country that's barely getting by here. And what the power establishment is saying is it's our will be done. Well, guess what? As I set up yours, it's not going to work that way. You guys can do whatever you want to do. It's politics. And I, you know, they, they, they could not help themselves. They had a special meeting of the executive committee. And guess is, this is what their motions were. And this is the last time I can talk about it because they're going to lock this thing down. Listen to these motions. Just listen to this. This is their response to the American people asking for dialogue. That's all we asked for, discourse and discussion. Erudite, respectful discourse and discussion. And, of course, the reason the thing turns into a food fight is they're not letting that happen. 
So all you can do is knock on the door. Knock, knock, knock. Please let us in. We're here. We love you. We're not against you. We don't hate you. We want to learn from you. Could you learn from us? Is that not the American political system? You know, we're not revolutionaries after all. Listen to these motions. In response to my young friend, because he's senior, this is the exec- this is the executive committee. He sent this thing out. Here's their response. Members of the executive committee shall not bring motions or concerns to the full committee. That's the governing body. The full governing body. They shall not bring motions or concerns without getting concurrence of the executive committee. In other words, don't talk amongst yourselves. Don't debate. Don't do anything. No motions. We're not going to, hey, you know, you grassroots people, this is why I don't like the word grassroots. You grassroots people, we're going to walk on you. We're not going to talk to you. We're going to walk. No talking, just walking. Hey, up yours. It doesn't work that way. It's politics. This is not a secret society. This is the Republican Party of Minnesota. We're an open group of people that believe in freedom. Remember? You know what? Here's a third one, Tanner. I got to go look up some stuff that Lincoln said and Reagan said about freedom because the party seems to have forgot about it. They kind of go full-blown Nazi here. You don't like the Nazi word? Well, let me tell you something. At the next meeting, I'm going to stand up and say something like this. I can forgive all the anti-Semitism that I have suffered just standing up to have an opinion. I can forgive that. But what I can't forgive and I will not forgive is an effort to stifle politics and steal the voice of the people. My voice, hey, I'm a tough I'm tough as a $2 steak. You know, you guys haven't even hit my Richter scale yet. You don't know who I am and I'm not bragging. I want to get in the ring with you. Come to the studio and let's debate. Let's debate anywhere. I bet if somebody would show up and talk to me, we could get a live stream on Getter and 20, 30,000 people would watch. It'd be worth it. It'd be gripping television. And if you beat me, I'm not going to be pissed off. I'm going to be respectful. That's another thing I don't like about this. You know, the reason we don't shoot each other is because we have oratory. And when we're arguing, if someone makes a superior argument out of sacred honor and goodwill, you say, and I've said this many times, times, oops, you beat me. I must withdraw and think about my ideas. I was just in a, an argument with a very capable attorney who's in the party here. And he beat up on me about this Amber thing. And he just, you know, I didn't see it coming. And he beat me up. And I, you know, I mean, intellectually. And I had a look at him and I said, you know what? I must withdraw and think about it. Your points are very good. And here's the point he made. Why aren't you talking about Representative Dean Phillips? Why did you pick on Emmer? And that was a very good point. And to all my friends in the Republican Party who have never spoken to me but hate me, you know, this vehicle can be very effective in criticizing Democrats. And I'm going to listen to my friend, and I'm informed by the dialogue. When we don't talk to each other, there's no growth. So let's get together and talk. It's not a big deal. Let's not walk on each other. Let's talk to each other. But listen to these motions. Listen to this. Members of the executive committee, these are the people that run the, they run the program, right? They're the boss. At least they think they're the boss. 
shall not bring motions or concerns to the full committee without getting concurrence of the executive committee. Well, that's the end of dialogue, isn't it? Listen to this one. Except for the chair, that would be the big boss. You know, Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans. That guy. I'm not mentioning his name. You have no idea who I'm talking about, which is as I want it. Because this is not about people. This is about ideas. I have no animus or dislike for any of these people. This is a controversy about ideas, not about people. Let's get the people thing out of it. It's like Donald Trump. You know, they're telling me I can't criticize any other Republicans, not even by inference. And these very same people are holding meetings here in Minnesota trying to figure out how to destroy Trump in Minnesota and the Trump movement in Minnesota. I'm not saying I'm supporting Trump or not supporting Trump. I'm saying this is quite hypocritical. And if we remember our Bible studies, hypocrites are not thought of as in high regard. We don't hold hypocritical thinking in high regard. We just don't because it's bullshit. You can't be on both sides of the football at one time. you got to pick a side. So if you're going to say that I can't criticize another Republican even by inference, what the hell are you people doing meeting a in special meetings, secret meetings, trying to figure out how to take down the Trump campaign. What is that? What is that? He doesn't even have the nomination and you're working on him. You know, people have called me. That would be Mr. We don't do that here. To try to gain my support against Trump. What is it? Come on. We haven't even had the first primary. We didn't even hear what anybody had to say. They don't hate Trump because of all the reasons they hate Trump. This is the bullshit of it. They don't hate him for that reason. That's a cover story. That's a diversion, a distraction of Fugazi. They hate him for his ideas. And what are what is the idea that he's driving home? I want a country. I want borders. I want national sovereignty. I want American citizenship. I don't want to be in a global governance all over the world. I don't want I'm re, I'm going to take the United States out of the World Health Organization. I'm speaking for Trump. I'm not aligning myself with Trump. I'm saying his ideas, his ideas are what bear consideration. What are his ideas? Why are we talking about people? I mean, what the hell are we doing here? Come on, we're not in high school, particularly if we're in this party. And I'm going to say to all the people who have all these comments about me and have never met me, I'll meet any of you anytime and just talk to you over coffee. You might be interested to understand what I have to say, because I'm certainly interested in what you have to say. It's a quid pro quo. If you listen to me, I will listen to you. That's called politics. We're not at war. We're doing politics. It's a beautiful thing. If we do it right, we're all going to gain well-being from it. But when you put in a motion like this one, except for the chair, Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans, no member of the executive committee shall take unilateral action on behalf of CD3. Well, it's kind of reasonable. But why can the chair take unilateral actions? I mean, if it's all about, you know, agreeing with each other, because we all have to agree, right? No dissent is tolerated. What is this? But the chair can do whatever they want to do? What kind of screwed up deal are we dealing with here? Here's a great one. Committee debates shall be considered privileged and private. Oh, that's a nice motion. Now we have a secret society. 
Now, this came out, this was put out and circulated amongst the party before these, you know, motions were voted on. So me reading them to you is not against the party. It came out beforehand. But if they lock this down so these things are privileged and confidential, we got to get attorneys involved. Because can they really make, is the Republican Party in Minnesota really a secret society? Because I remember John Kennedy saying, a Democrat, Americans have poor secrets and secret societies. So who are these people? What are we doing here? We can reverse course. You know, one of the things that I've learned, and it's so hard to do, and I'm speaking to every one of you, because I am not against you and I don't dislike you. I know you dislike me. You make it personal, but it's not personal for me. It's about these ideas. If you really analyze what you're doing here, Mr. History Doesn't Matter, for example, you're really pursuing a set of policies that are, have nothing to do with the United States of America. You've trapped yourself in a set of ideas that are going to alienate you from our Constitution, from our, hist from our history, and from the American people, from the natural movement of the American people. You're isolating yourself, putting yourself in a spot where you can't win. You know, when I'm going in the wrong direction, and I'm way down the road in the wrong direction, and I know I'm in the wrong direction, and I've invested so much in going in the wrong direction, I don't even want to turn around. But if I want to get myself out of that spot, I just got to turn around, start walking back in the right direction. And that's all I'm asking. Let's, let's get away from this. The natural impulse here is making the problem worse. Let's make it better through dialogue. Unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. And it's not just here in, in uh, this, this impulse in the party. It's not just here in, in CD3, which is in the western suburbs of uh, the Twin Cities. It's about 800,000, 900,000 people in this area. Here's a little piece that came out on June 22nd out of Kitson County, the, Scout, the Scott County Republicans. So these people, the Scott County Republicans, they're outstate. These people outstate, they're not kidding around with these, these, these local people. They think this leadership in the metro area got to go. These outstate people, they're radical compared to the, 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 the city folk. These people live in the country. They are unabashedly pro-Trump, and they're unabashedly pro-Constitution, and they're unabashedly anti-Uni Party and anti-bullshit, okay? These people are serious, and I think the party needs to understand that because these people are getting organized. Hey, you know what? I don't want to see anybody get hurt politically or pushed out politically. I'm not into that. I'm into as real unity comes through dialogue. So these people, when, uh, uh, you know, uh, President Trump was indicted, they put a thing on their Facebook page, a graphic, which had photos of Biden, Hitler, Mao, and Stalin with the caption reading. The caption was, leaders who have their political opponents arrested. What they were, that was the caption. Here are leaders who have had their political opponents arrested. And that was Biden and Hitler and Mao and Stalin. That was, a, well, that was their freedom of speech. They put that out there. And right away, right away, Ken Martin, he's the head of the Minnesota Democrat Party, came out and he had a quote and he said, using that indictment to compare President Biden to some of the worst mass murderers in human history is as baseless as it is disturbing and offensive. That's political. That's dialogue. 
you know, everybody's got to make a decision. Is putting President Biden on a par with Hitler, Mao, and Stalin legitimate? That's a conversation for another day. But the right of Scott County Republicans, to put it, they certainly felt they had a right, and they certainly must have been over the target because the DFL, the Democrat Party, went crazy about it. And guess what the Republican Party did? The Republican Party of Minnesota issued a statement immediately. And here's a quote. There is no question the post the there is no question the post was uncalled for. Such rhetoric has no place in our political discourse. We have asked the Scott County Party unit to remove the post in question. Which of course Scott County, their response was up yours. Up yours. Now what I'm saying here is I'm not trying to get down in the weeds in any of these issues because that would take a lot of thinking. But I'm saying the impulse in the Republican Party and in the Democrat Party to repress the dialogue that would be necessary to bring about some healing is profound. Think about it in your own family, in your own friendships. If you have a simmering resent with somebody that you love, someone that you love, like a fellow American citizen. And that resent is so bad you stop talking to them. How's it going to get better? We don't have the courage and the decency to speak one to another to talk about the things that really divide us and to try to find common ground. And that is going to divide us further. And now let's think about that. Who benefits from the American people being divided? I'm talking to you, and I'm saying let's get together and talk and work towards real real policies that bring together the various ideas of the party. How can we evolve our message and change our product such that 70% of the American people are down with it? How can we get out of this polarization? We need to talk to each other. And what is the response? Like little... They're saying we're acting like little kids because we want to talk. Hey, Mommy and Daddy, will you please talk to me? Okay, I'll take that metaphor. Would you please talk to me, Daddy? And what's their response? Go to your room. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear from you. Don't talk back to me. Oh, really? What do you think that fosters in a young child when Dad says, I don't want to hear what you have to say? What do you think happens? It doesn't breed for family. It does not breed familial loyalty or familial harmony. Who taught you how to do this? If you're leading this thing, Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans, who taught you the basics of how human beings work in groups? Where's the ability to form group energy? And all you people that are watching this, that are following Mr. We Don't Need... Did you know he told me that we don't need any more Republicans? Do you believe that? All the people that are following this leader, do you believe we don't need any more Republicans? Because he told me that directly. Now, he can get on the other side and say he didn't say it, and then it's a he said, she said. And I didn't record him because I don't believe in that kind of thing, okay? All this guerrilla journalism, which I could do, I'm not doing that. I'm interested in the ideas. It's not him. It's the idea. I'm not talking about this individual. Let me make this very straight and clear. I don't know him and I don't care about him. It's the ideas. 
It's the idea that we would have a party, which is a group of people, run by individuals that have no sense of how to create a group energy. You know, up yours. You don't know what you're doing. It's not about personal. You just, nobody taught you. Could we set up a school in the Republican Party that's called creating a group energy? Creating an organization. Creating organizational unity. Creating an organizational objective. Creating a product. And why do I feel I'm capable of saying that? I have an organization like that that I run. I have to create group energy. I can't have people hating me in my organization. And we don't agree about everything. There's conflict all the time. What do you think I do in my organization when there's conflict? Tell people to go to their room? We're going to have a secret society. You know, I was talking to somebody, another buddy, another political activist that he said, well, what happens in your organization when people don't agree? Don't you keep secrets? No, we don't. We don't. We don't keep secrets in my organization because it's not the nuclear codes. There's nothing secret. There's no secrets to keep. When I keep a secret in my organization, all I'm doing is making people not like me. Why would I want to do that? I want their loyalty and I want their hard work so that we can accomplish our organizational goals. So I want to leave you with this. This is very important. We're going to be arguing. We are. This argument is not going to be suppressed, okay? Look at this medium. Do you think this argument's going away? It's not. This is a new party. It's a new day. Turn the page. Let's learn how to function with a new set of technologies and a new set of people that are coming into the party. And why are they in the party? They love the country. The same reason you're doing it. They love God. I can't speak whether or not you love God. I really don't even know if you love the country. But let's just presume, in this case, a best-case scenario, that we're all doing this because we love God and we love country and we love family. I mean, it, we're all aligned on the most important issues. If we get together and talk this thing through, through the political process, we're going to get a much better product that people are going to resonate with. And instead of having this simmering argument where everybody hates each other, we'll work it out like in a family, like in a marriage. you got to work it out. You can't run away from it because you know what that ends up in? Not good things. So I'm just trying to say here that this impulse to shut down dialogue, discourse, and media runs through the party. And you know why it runs through the party? Well, let me give you an opportunity. If your ideas are good enough and you're, more, and you're confident enough, please get together with me. I'll go any place, anytime, anywhere to talk about any subject with anybody. I'm all about dialogue. I'm all about talking. And this audience is all about talking. That's why we're doing this together. We're listening to each other. I'm in that live chat. I'm listening to people I'm learning every day. And it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And we're going to do something together. And what are we going to do? We're going to maintain our constitutional republic. And we're going to do it by enhancing the well-being of the American people. Every policy is going to be about human well-being. If it doesn't make the people well, we're not going to do it. And when people figure out that they have a say in their own well-being, that they're self-governing, when they sit there and put their feet on the floor and they stand relaxed with their shoulders relaxed, with their hands at their side, and they pray and they vibrate energy through their body and they discover their connection to the Most High God, hey, guess what? Up yours. You're not going to be able to pull this off because we're going to pull out the biggest tool belt in the belt. That's prayer. We're going to unite 
through prayer about thanking God for giving us a freedom in a country where we have unalienable rights. Thank you for our unalienable rights. Thank you, God, for granting me unalienable rights. Thank you. Hey, let's all get together on this one. I'm going to make a book about this. we got to get together on some prayer. And then the rest of these people, they're either going to get with us on our side of the football, or guess what? You know what? Elections have consequences. I don't want to throw anybody out. We need everybody. It's all hands on deck. So let's all get together and make some good things happen together. Now let's talk about when good things don't happen, when bad things happen. I'm going to spend the next 27 minutes talking about something that I was personal witness to. And not that many of you can say that. Now, of course, if you're a Republican and you're watching me because this is research, you're looking at what the opposition is doing, well, the average age of the Republican Party, as I've said, is 462 years old. They're crypt keepers. So they've seen this too. And that was President Kennedy being killed in November of 1963. We keep going back to it, and I'm going to share with you why. There wasn't just one martyr. There was four, the four martyrs, which we need to ensconce in our history in a much more special and elevated way because they gave their lives searching for truth. That would be President Kennedy. Oh, hey, you don't like this now. Malcolm X, don't like him? Maybe you should read some of the things he had to say. He sounds kind of quintessentially American. Martin Luther King, I mean, come on, we gave him a holiday. Are you going to get on the other side of Martin Luther King? And you know what I'm going to tell you, just so you know, my audience. This pains me to say this. I've had many people in the Republican Party, oh, you don't like this. I can't criticize by inference. Up yours. we got to rip the Band-Aid off of this wound. I've had a lot of people in the Republican Party deride and degrade Martin Luther King Day. Okay? Now, come on. Let's get with the program here. We're past this. If you're holding on to anti-Semitic and racist views and you're in the Republican Party, go down the block to the Nazi Party. They have a very vibrant organization, or at least that's what the security state tells us, that we got to be afraid of white supremacists because, you know, they're the greatest threat to America. And all the Republicans that have told me that the problem with uh, Minnesota is, you know, the black people, is, they didn't say it nice like that. The black people in, you know, the cities, or they don't like Martin Luther King Day, you know, all these kind of things. I can't even talk about it. So It makes me so angry. We're so past this as a culture. The young people that we want in this party, why the average age is 462 years old, is because there's people that are believing things that nobody else holds on to anymore. It's killing the party. I have another friend of mine. Oh, he's prominent. They hate him too. Why? Because he he's searching for truth. And he gets, well, this guy's brave. And he says to me, you know, this is just the way shit works. These people got to die off. They're not going to change their mind. And you know, at 462 years old, how much longer do you think you have? Okay? So you could do the honorable thing and resign. If you're a racist, ask yourself, look in the mirror. Am I a racist? Am I an anti-Semite? Because if you are, and you love this country, you're really keeping young people from joining the Republican Party. They know the Democrat Party is screwed. I don't even have to ask Tanner. I know he knows. These young people are smart. They know they're getting pants by a uni party. They know they don't have any money. 
and they know that they know they have no prospects to ever get any money. You think they're they're pissed. Okay, they're looking for a place to go. All we got to do is get on one side of the football and listen to what the American people are telling us, and we're not going to have a problem. We're going to get 70% of the votes. We're going to elect people with majorities that people think are impossible. And why do they think it's impossible? They're fucking brainwashed. Excuse me. I'm sorry. This brainwashing thing, Mr. History, doesn't matter. This is the root cause of the problem. So let's talk about a little brainwashing in my last 20 minutes here. We played the Sapruder film. I should play it again. I'm just not going to do it because it makes me want to cry. That was an American president. I watched that happen. I know what it felt like to watch a president that was beloved by young people, and I was a young person. I watched him die in broad daylight, assassinated in a major American city. And I've actually made the pilgrimage, and I urge all of you to go to Dealey Plaza in Dallas and get a feel for that place. Because guess what? It's a shrine. The energy there is haunting. You know, unless you're numbed out. Now, if you go there and you smoke a joint on the way there, right after you watch porn and jacked off, you probably aren't going to feel anything. I'm just saying. If you're numb, it's just going to be a bunch of buildings and a grassy knoll. But if you go there sober, without headphones on, straight, and you just put your feet on the ground and relax your shoulders, put your hands at your side, and feel that plaza, it's going to scare the shit out of you because it's scary. You can look at it if you have any kind of training and recognize it's a killing zone. It's a triangulated killing zone. And uh, it's so close. You know, when you see it on television, the plaza looks really big. But when you're there at the entrance to Interstate 35, because that's what it is, Minnesotans, that Interstate 35 runs right from Minneapolis right down to Dallas. That where Kennedy was killed was the entrance ramp to the interstate, where shit has to slow down to get on the interstate. This was so well planned. They knew that in a motorcade, the motorcade would have to slow down to get onto the highway to keep everybody together because you're accelerating from 20 miles an hour to 60 miles an hour. So to keep your grouping together, you got to kind of compress things and slow down right at that entrance ramp, which is right where he got his brains blown out. And it's so close. It, you know, a handgun could have shot this guy. It's that close, if you're good with handguns. But there was rifles afoot. And, you know, we saw this thing when this Zapruder film came out. It was many years after the assassination. It was after the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission, that's what we're going to get down to here, the Warren Commission. I've been promising this. The Warren Commission was appointed right after the assassination to investigate what the hell happened? Because, you know, like, I don't know, 15 minutes before the assassination, they were already saying there was a lone gunman. I exaggerate. But I bet if we looked it up, it's probably not an exaggeration. Urban myth. Oswald was identified 
as the lone assassin of the president very quickly. And all we have is his protestations. He was actually on film saying, hey, I'm a patsy. You know, when he was killed, I'm talking about Oswald, in the basement of the police department's building there, being, you know, the Texas Marshal, the Texas Marshals. I mean, these guys are, hey, the Texas law enforcement at that time, these guys were kill us. And they're bringing them through with their Texas hats on, the cowboy hats, looking style. These guys had style. And Jack Ruby jumps out of the crowd and shoots him. That was live on television. That was live on television. Live. My mother <laughs> fainted dead away. We're all sitting there watching it. Mom, Dad, David, Professor Penn, the young Professor Penn. Oh, here comes the assassin. Boy, this was very exciting. I remember it like it was yesterday. And here comes Ruby, pulls the trigger. I was very young. I'd never seen such a thing. And what happens? My mom fell down, fainted out, because she'd never seen such a thing either. That's the kind of thing that sticks with you. I wouldn't say I have post-traumatic stress uh, disorder from that. I don't. But just before that, we had the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that did create some post-traumatic stress disorder because it was not looking good. It was not looking good. In fact, my father left for work and said, Barbara, if the war starts, go down to the caves by the river and hide there. I'll find you. Sounds very good. The hell of a plan, right? So right after this assassination, this is before the Zapruder film came out, when Oswald had already been, you know, identified as the, as the lone assassin, President Johnson, a finer despot, or how should we say it? That's not good. A more skullduggerous politician in American history is hard to find than Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson, that's 10 podcasts. This guy was in a league of his own. A league of his own. He appoints uh, the Warren Commission to investigate the shooting, to, co to investigate. You know, they went into it with an open mind. What happened here? And, of course, their findings was that, you know, other than a few little tweaks here and there, that, you know, the FBI could have done better, the CIA could have done better, could have had better court, but Oswald killed him. It was a lone gunman. That was the results of the Warren Commission. Now. There was many years later a House Select Committee on Assassinations because this thing didn't go away. So I just want to read to you out of that report. This is from our own government, from our Congress. The committee believes, you can go look this up for yourself, and I suggest that you do. The committee believes on the basis of the evidence available to it that President John F. Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. What? We just had created, you know, 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, a blue ribbon panel called the Warren Commission to investigate the assassination. And there were some studs on this commission. 
Let me share with you the names. And I'm going to go slowly. You might want to write this down and look these people up yourself. Because this is quite a group of, this is quite a cast of characters. It was called the Warren Commission because it was led by Earl Warren. And who was Earl Warren? Oh, he was the former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. In fact, at that time, I think he was still the Chief Justice. The, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Oh, boy, wearing them black robes. We trust him, don't we? Guess who else was on here? President Gerald Ford, in an earlier incarnation as a congressman. Alan Dulles, the director of the CIA that just a year previous to the assassination, Kennedy had gotten rid of. Now, it looked like Dulles resigned, but actually, that was a charade. Kennedy took him out after the Bay of Pigs because Kennedy thought he got screwed on that deal, and he got rid of Dulles. But Dulles shows up. The number one antagonist to John Kennedy was Alan Dulles, and he's investigating the assassination. Richard Russell. Oh, look him up. What a peach this guy was. This guy was Lyndon Johnson's godfather in politics, and a more ardent racist and segregationist could not be found. In fact, this guy, Richard Russell, led the charge against civil rights in the U.S. Senate. Oh, my gosh. You know, come on. you got to look this guy up. Then we had some lesser people that really weren't lesser. We had John Sherman Cooper. Oh, he ended up being really involved in the formation of NATO, and he was, I think, ambassador to the United Nations, in addition to being a U.S. senator. John McCloy, we'll get to him. Hale Boggs, Hale Boggs, Hale Boggs. Look up Hale Boggs. Hale Boggs disappeared and was never found again. And he was the number one person on the Warren Commission that disagreed with the commission's findings. A few years later, not that long later, they never found his remains. They had to declare him dead. He disappeared. Where's Hale? Like, where's Hunter? Where's Hale? Hale disappeared. Now, when we get into this part of the, of the podcast where I have to say, I don't know the truth. I don't know it. I'm searching for it. And, of course, during the Trump administration, there was a, a mandate, a legal mandate, that was going to force the CIA and the FBI to divulge all their secret files about this issue related to Kennedy. And guess what? You know what they said? Up yours. We're not giving it to you. So still to this day, in 2023, we don't have all the research documents that would help us understand what happened here. And I just have to say, you know, unlike the Republican Party of Minnesota that wants to hide things, and they have nothing to hide. Hey, I got to tell you guys something, something I didn't mention. Go ahead and hide it, because you know what? We don't want to watch you fart in a mud puddle, okay? Go ahead. You're not sitting on the nuclear codes. You got nothing to hide. All you're doing is precluding any new ideas, which means... We're going to lose again. Great. You know, somebody might say you intend to lose. That's the danger, of course, when you don't listen to the people. You have no secrets to, to hide from us. But these people, the CIA and the FBI and the DIA, hey, they have secrets about this. And here we are in 2023, and they're not being released. 
Now, is that not kind of damning in and of itself? Because if you weren't involved in it, you'd release it. You'd have nothing to hide. So they do have something to hide. And right there, you got to start there if you're just thinking about it in a worst-case scenario. But this Warren Commission, I lived through this. These people were fenced as the most honest, the most stable, and the most patriotic members of our society. I mean, we had the Supreme Court Chief Justice, a future president, the director of the CIA, before we got down to these lesser lights, like the number one segregationist in the Congress. Hey, hey, you know what? Who's counting? But there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these people. It's a nice number, seven. Seven. It's a lucky number on the Warren Commission. And we believe these people so much because they came out with the lone gunman theory. They said Oswald acted alone. And remember, not too many years thereafter, our Congress investigated and said, nah, it was a conspiracy. But at that moment, they were entrenching a narrative. And I'm going to bet that if you get 100 Republicans in a room, or let's put 200 Democrats and Republicans in a room, there's going to be a lot of people that still think there was a lone gunman. There's going to be a lot of people that think it was a conspiracy. And then the question's going to be, who were the conspirators? And we have no idea. We've never had truth. And with no truth, we have no justice. And with no justice, we have no peace. This country went off the rails in November of 1963. We don't know who took us off the rails. We don't know why they took We have theories. And let us not forget, those of us in the truth media, a theory is not a fact. So when we're making shit up, let's identify it, okay? Let's not just say it's the truth, because then we're propagandists. And I'm anti-propaganda. I don't believe in that. I'm all about you seeing it for yourself. So I'm only pointing you in the direction of the Warren Commission because when I look at it, my hair stands on end. Why? Because their conclusion was contradicted just a few years later by another group of investigators. So how is it that these guys came to a, to a conclusion that is absolutely the opposite of other investigators? Just if, Is this a cover-up? That's what I'm saying. Was the war... I'm not trying to make propaganda. I'm asking a question. Who were these people and what were they doing? And when you delve into some of the way evidence was dealt with and how facts were twisted in the report, all things we don't have time to talk about here today, how did they pull this off? What you These people are coming from all kinds of different walks of life, different states, different parties different histories, different ages. These were very different people. Or were they? Or were they? Or were they? Again, I'm not making propaganda. I'm asking a question. Because, you know, the main bangers on this commission, which was Earl Warren, Gerald Ford, Alan Dulles, and Richard Russell, you know they had something in common. You know what they had in common? I don't know what this means. I don't know definitively what it means. But they were all Masons. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. Earl Warren was a 33-degree Mason. 
hey, can you pop up this picture of Gerald Ford? Now, that's Warren as the chief justice. Now, I want you to get get to this picture of uh, Gerald Ford. There he is. Look at Jerry. Look at Jerry. You know, let me tell you how this research started. Look at Jerry smiling there as a Mason. And underneath there, that's Richard Russell. A a greater racist. Well, there are greater ones. There are greater ones. Okay, there are. We've talked about them. But he's right up there in the pantheon of racists. Now, there's Gerald Ford. I just like to leave this picture. How, how I got into this Warren Commission thing is that I was looking up presidents who never got elected and who got impeached. And the difference between who gets impeached and who gets prosecuted, I was talking about this. I was thinking, my God, they've just indicted Trump. What other presidents could have been indicted and weren't? Well, one was Richard Nixon because they caught him with his hand in the cookie jar. And there are people who are saying now that he was you know, ran afoul of the security state, much like Trump. And there's good evidence for that. In fact, Nixon said it himself. But I was looking at, at, at Ford, and I looked at a picture of him, a color picture of him, because he was a president that was never elected and didn't get elected. He was, you know, he was defeated, of course, by, by Carter because he pardoned Nixon, and he, pre- he prevented the Justice Department forever indicting Nixon for covering up Watergate. And I was looking at his picture. It was a real clear picture, and I was looking at his eyes. And you see, you know, for those of us that are trained, you know, kind of like in that bit that we did from uh, Tombstone, where Doc Holliday says uh, something about his eyes. He reminds me of me. Darling, now I know I hate him. You see, because he was looking at his eyes, and the eyes tell you a lot. And I was looking at this picture of Gerald Ford, and I said, this son of a bitch is trained in a secret society. I'm going to look him up. And look what popped out. Is that evidence? Now, one could say that could be planted by the security state or by some actor. Maybe the Russians did it. Maybe it's not a real picture. So I looked around a little bit more. And I'm just going to give you a little flavor of something that I found in a Masonic publication. This was written in this publication. Um, about Chief Justice Earl Warren on the Warren Commission. In the middle decades of the 20th century, no well-known American Mason was more celebrated than Harry S. Truman, who rose from haberdasher, that means he sold men's clothes, to Missouri Grandmaster, Senator, Vice President, and ultimately President. Not far behind our brother Truman in terms of impact was Sir Knight Earl Warren, who also served as Grandmaster, State Attorney General, Governor, Chief Justice of the United States of the Supreme Court. Now, interesting how they did that. He didn't say he was Supreme Court Justice first and Mason second. No, he was a Mason first and a Supreme Court Chief Justice afterwards. Hey, that's something right there. You know, that's like the, Mr. We don't do that here. I'd like to pray before we say the Pledge of Allegiance because, hey, you know, we got a corrupt government. So I'd like to pray to God first. We're going to have that one out political dialogue. The young Warren later worked as a call boy for that company, became a critic of that firm. He's talking about his history and tied his early political wagon to that of progressive Republican Sir Knight Hiram Johnson, another politician in the Mason. I mean, what the hell is going on here with all these Masons in politics? It goes on and on. 
on and on and on and on. Meanwhile, Earl Warson's Masonic career continued unabated. Between 1928 and 1933, he served on a variety of Grand Lodge committees. He was elected Senior Grand Warden in 1933. He moved up to Deputy Grandmaster in 1934 and thence to Grandmaster in 1935. This son of a gun is Grandmaster of the Masons. Oh, Gerald Ford's Grandmaster of the Masons. What? What are we talking about here? Alan Dulles was in the Masons. Richard Russell was in the Masons. Now, I'm not here to spend a lot of time talking about Masonry. I'm saying that when people are in secret societies, they can come from all over the world. I've been in one of those where I got together with people from all over the world. I've been in two of them. I've been in three of them. And let me tell you what they were. Now, one of them I can't tell you, but two of them I can. For example, I was raised in the classical music world. I could get together with a guy from Japan that didn't speak any English, and we could sit down and play music together, and we were trained in the same secret society. We got along just fine, for example. So I'm just saying that having four Masons on the Warren Commission may have led to a certain similarity of thinking. It could have contributed to a certain similarity of conclusion and led to an outcome. I don't know. It's a question we want to ask ourselves. What the hell is going on here? What is going on here? So I am in no way trying to be definitive or get into a bunch of uh, conspiracy about masonry. But let's see if I kept this on my phone where I left it just as we end the podcast. Oh, guess what? Freemasonry, the number one Grand Lodge of the world, is in England. England. Isn't that interesting? And who runs the whole deal? The United Grand Lodge of England is led by its Grand Master, His Royal Highness, the Duke of Kent. Oh, royalty. Who was elected more than 50 years ago, a crypt keeper. You know, he's 462 years old, like the leadership of the Republican Party. Maybe they're on the same team. I don't know. I'm asking questions. I want to get to the truth. Who are these people? And is now the United Grand Lodge of England's longest-serving Grand Master. What? What? What is this? The royalty of the crown is running the lodge, and it's the most influential lodge in the world, and our Supreme Court Justice is in that organization, and he was on the Warren Commission. They even called the Warren Commission after him. So this is the kind of things we have to ask ourselves. I'm not making any definitive statements. I'm not trying to propagandize anything. I would like to know the truth. Would you like to know the truth? If you want to know the truth, could you please be a researcher with me? You got Wikipedia. We got a live chat. We got an organization. We've got to find out what the hell is happening to us. So let's end on another one. We started with a beautiful piece of vibratory music where priests were communing with the Most High God. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go out with the fantastic opera by Puccini, sung by a great tenor named Pavarotti. Some of you might know of him. This guy's unbelievable. This is a beautiful piece of music. It's done at the very end, okay? This piece of music is a kind of a juxtaposition, an antagonist to the first piece. The first piece was about praying to God. 
and vibrated our bodies in harmony with the natural way. This piece is about romantic love. You can look up this opera. You can find information about this. It's interesting. Uh, it's very, very famous. I'm going to leave it to you. You're going to recognize it, some of you. But this is about romantic love. This is the vibration of desire, of sexuality, of love as yet not consummated. Let's go out with it. I look forward to seeing you soon again. I thank you for joining, and we really appreciate doing this with you. Thank you for all your support. Tanner, let's take us out with a little bit of love, a little bit of love. Shut up!